The not very nice and anatomically inaccurate prophecies of Olot hear the server. For the prompt time loop. Around and around by Shamil, read by Jar. Their celebratory dinner at the Ritz after the world doesn't end is glorious. Aziraphale could swear the duck has never tasted so good. The mi-foy has never been so sweet. The champagne has never been so bubbly. And, of course, Crowley is radiant next to him, in that subtle way of his, but even he can't hide a smile behind dark glasses. It's raining when they leave, and Crowley offers him his elbow so that they can share an umbrella. Aziraphale takes it. Standing so close, he notices Crowley sucking in his lower lip a few times, until he clears his throat, tilts his head towards Aziraphale, and asks quietly, Back to yours? Somehow that question seems to carry more than what it's asking. And Aziraphale suddenly gets cold feet. Very, very cold feet. There's no rush, is there? They've got the rest of their lives to spend time together, to figure out what they are to each other. He's sure he would make a mess of things if he hurried into this. No, better not. This is too important not to think about it thoroughly. I think I'm rather tired after all the excitement, he smiles at Crowley, who immediately takes the hint and nods. The drive to the bookshop is silent. Aziraphale could swear Crowley is trying not to sulk and failing. When they get there, Aziraphale wishes him a restful night and hurries to the bookshop door. He opens it, waiting to be comforted by the familiar smell inside of his books and knickknacks, and finds himself back at the Ritz. Crowley waves at him, and Aziraphale blinks for several moments before joining him at the table. What are you doing? he asks the demon. Crowley raises both eyebrows over his glasses. Choosing the wine for tonight? We've just had dinner. The demon frowns. I definitely have not. He looks down at his watch. Would be weird. It's barely six. Aziraphale leans forward and sees that, indeed, it's not past 9pm like it should be. In his long existence, there have been many moments where Aziraphale has found himself confused. And he thinks that the best strategy in these cases is to stay very still and assess his situation until he's figured out what's going on. So that's what he does now. He eats his duck, enjoys his mi-foy, and chats amicably with Crowley until it's time to leave. 
By the time they finished, he's almost convinced himself that the first dinner was nothing but a figment of his imagination. When they leave, it's raining, and Crowley offers him his elbow so they can share his umbrella. Aziraphale accepts. Then the demon sucks in his lower lip a few times, clears his throat, tilts his head towards Aziraphale, and asks whether they should go back to the bookshop. I'm rather tired, I'm afraid. Aziraphale answers without thinking, too caught up in the déjà-vu feeling of it all. Crowley drives him home with no further comment. Aziraphale bids him goodnight, unlocks the door, steps into the bookshop, and he's back at the Reds. Crowley waves at him, and Aziraphale stomps toward the table. If you think this is funny, it is not. What? What is? This, Aziraphale repeats, while heads begin turning to look at him. This is the third time you bring me back here. I would say closer to three hundredth, Crowley comments. I thought you liked it here. I do, not three times in one night. Crowley shakes his head and lowers his voice. I have no idea what you're talking about, Angel. Aziraphale believes him. If this were a prank, Crowley wouldn't miss his chance to needle him and gloat. He flops down in a chair. So it's not Crowley. But if not Crowley, who? And most importantly, why? Even the food of the Ritz is beginning to tire him out. When they leave, he automatically reaches for Crowley's elbow, whose eyes go wide for a moment behind his glasses, before he opens the umbrella to shield them from the rain. Perhaps it's the bookshop. Perhaps it's cursed. He should ask Crowley to drop him off somewhere else. But where? If you don't mind, my dear, I'd like to take a walk. Crowley is already nodding when Aziraphale adds, By myself. Crowley's entire face falls, but he nods again anyway. Keep the umbrella. I have the car. Aziraphale walks him to the Bentley and waves him goodbye. He walks only for a couple minutes before spotting a pub. Maybe a strong drink is what he needs? He pushes open the door of the pub and finds himself back to the Reds. He doesn't even have the energy to be angry anymore. He sits at the table and explains to Crowley he's feeling really quite tired and not worry if he's a little quiet. Though he feels a bit guilty for making their celebratory dinner so gloomy for Crowley. But 
And it's the fourth time around for Xerophil, and he's all out of enthusiasm. Everything seems to work out fine, as long as he's with Crowley, he reasons as he chews on his dark. It's the moment Crowley leaves that things go awry. But who would have an interest in pushing him and Crowley together, and the means to manipulate time to such an extent? There's only one answer there, and it's a scary one. Even Crowley couldn't control time like that. That leaves Scott and Satan. And Satan most definitely wants Crowley and Aziraphale as far from each other as possible. Which leaves only one alternative, and nobody knows what she's thinking about at any given time. It's perfectly possible that, for whatever reason, she wants them together. Was it all a plan? Aziraphale silently asks the wild strawberry on top of his mefoy. Did she place them on the wall all those years ago so that they would meet? Did they keep running into each other because it was her will? And now does she want them to stay together for the rest of their lives? One way to find out. They leave, and it's raining, and Aziraphale waits for Crowley to offer him his elbow and to share his umbrella. He thanks him, then agrees to going back to the bookshop with the demon, and gets in the car. The drive there is quite intense, but when they get there, and Aziraphale opens the door to the bookshop, he's allowed to step inside at last. Relief floods over him, and she turns back to Crowley. Actually, my dear, I think I rather need some rest now, if you don't mind. Oh, Crowley looks him up and down. No, yes, I agree. You've been off all night. Indeed. Good night, Crowley. Good night, Angel. Crowley waves and leaves. Call you tomorrow. Aziraphale takes a deep breath and turns around, and in the next blink, he's back at the Reds. This time, furious as anything, he approaches the table, sits down without a word, and eats his food as fast as possible tasting nothing under Crowley's worried gaze. When they leave, he waits for no elbow or umbrella. He grabs Crowley by the lapels of his jacket and shoves him against the nearest wall, crushing their mouths together. Crowley makes a sound somewhere between nails on chalkboard and a pheasant rolling down a hill before kissing him back quite passionately, actually, as if he's been waiting to do this for a long time. Back to mine? Aziraphale asks breathlessly, in between all the kissing. P 
Please, Crowley answers. And the next morning, when Crowley leaves to go home and get a change of clothes, Aziraphale doesn't find himself back at the Reds, but instead sits in the bed, gloriously naked, happy and with a rather sore bum. The end.